Good morning. The reading today is from Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 28. So I'll just give you a moment to open your, bi- your Bibles. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 to 28. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to work. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted to the Laconian, in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to me in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from those worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from the heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came down from Antioch and like and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city 
The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From Attilia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith in the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Let me get myself set up. If you've got your Bibles there, do keep them open. I am hoping, wanting you to look at them because uh, we've got a fair amount of Scripture we're going to go through. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these great stories that we read in the book of Acts. I do pray you would encourage us and strengthen us and give us a resolve to just keep pressing on in the mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with the saying brickbacks and bouquets. Uh, it's an interesting one. It's hard to work out where it first came from, but what it means is, if you're not familiar, is that a brickback or a bouquet is some sort of feedback that you can get. And a brickback is um, not a nice thing. It's actually a brick that's broken and can be used as a missile. And it's used figuratively to speak of having a missile thrown at you in terms of words uh, that give you feedback that's not the nicest. Uh, in other words, uh, it's telling criticism uh, that can often have great impact upon you. But a bouquet is something that's very nice to receive. A uh, bunch of flowers, who doesn't like getting that? And so brickbacks or bouquets, it's a way of talking about feedback that people can sometimes receive. And I couldn't help but think of that in terms of thinking about these chapters in Acts chapter 13 to 14. Because what you see here are both brickbacks and bouquets uh, in terms of the experience of disciples. And this year, there's a book that came out. It was written by a guy called Stephen McAlpine, and it won the Sparklit Australian Christian Book of the Year, and it's called Being the Bad Guys. It's a very interesting book. I just started reading it this week in preparation for the message. And what it does is analyse the way culture has changed and in his words, we have become the bad guys. We used to be the good guys in terms of respect, uh, but now we're often criticised as being the bad guys and the Christian faith as being dangerous. Now, let me just say, it's a very helpful book and a very insightful one in terms of the way uh, there is a stream or a voice within our culture that is critical of the Christian church. But if that's all you read, 
I think you'd be depressed and think, gee, it's just going to be very hard work in Australia. And in many ways, there are things that are hard in terms of being a Christian today. But across my desk also this week came a second piece of information uh, reflecting on mission again in Australia that Andrew Graham sent me. And it was a report that was done by the McCrindle Group. And if you're not familiar with them, they're probably the leading sociological researchers in the country. They work for governments, uh, organisations. And the guy who's in charge, Mark McCrindle, I understand he's a Christian, and often does work for the church. And this is a study that has been done. Uh, It's called The Impact of Faith on Australian Society. And here's one of the key findings. While the Christian church is not perfect, just over three in four, in other words, 76%, of Australians believe Christianity has had a positive impact on Australian society. Well, if Stephen McAlpine's book, Being the Bad Guys, is the brickbat, the bouquet is reading the work by the McCrindle Group. And you need to actually put them both together. There is a voice in Australia that is critical of the Australian Christian Church and critical of the gospel. There is no doubt about that. But there is also this quieter stream of people who are actually open to the Christian message, who are in some ways positive about the impact of Christians. And so that the voice you hear that is negative can sometimes be disproportionate in terms of the the number of people who actually hold to that position. And we need to realise both things as we think about mission. And what we see is this is exactly what it was like in the first century. There was opposition to the gospel, there were brickbacks, but there were also bouquets in the sense that God continued to be at work in people's hearts and minds and lives and bring people to himself. And I'm going to do something fairly ambitious. I'm going to try and cover all two chapters of chapter 13 and 14. Call me crazy. I just found these verses and these chapters so wonderful. Now, one of the reasons I'm doing it is because chapter 13 and 14, we just had 14 read for us, but I actually want to look at 13 as well. They record for us the first missionary journey of Paul. And so we're going to look at the whole missionary journey. I'm going to put it up on the screen here behind me. <coughs> And Paul, we saw last week in Acts chapter 11, was in Antioch. Uh, We've skipped chapter 12 because I preached on it last year. Uh, It was called The God Who Works the Midnight Shift. And that was the week I announced that David had got his visa. It was a great week. And so we've gone ahead of chapter 12 to 13 and 14. And Paul sets out from Antioch and he goes first to the island of Cyprus. He then heads up to Perga, second stop. Then to Pisidian Antioch, it's another Antioch but a different one. This is modern day Turkey. Then he goes across to Lystra and Derby before, uh, via Iconium before he comes back. And so we're going to look at those four stops. And what you see uh, in each one of these is that there is something positive to note uh, in terms of the way God's at work. There's something interesting to note in terms of what happens. But there's also something challenging to note. There's always some sort of opposition, but you see basically bouquets and brickbacks all the way through his mission. And I don't think it's any different today in Australia. So let's have a look at the first stop. It's Cyprus, that wonderful island in the Mediterranean. And I'm going to read there from verse 4. The two of them, that is Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus, Very important truth to note just at the very beginning. Uh, This mission that we are on is not a human-inspired idea. It is from God himself. The Holy Spirit 
sends Paul and Barnabas. And it's worth noting that at the very beginning, God himself is sending them out because he has his work that he wants them to do. And so he knows God, the Holy Spirit, that they are going to be fruitful in this mission. He also knows it's going to be difficult, but he also knows it's going to be fruitful. They're sent by God himself. And we need to keep remembering that, that God is always at work before us. He's far more willing to save than we are to go, is what I spoke about two weeks ago. And you see here that truth again, the Holy Spirit sends them out. But the challenging truth, the brickback that they encounter from the um, first time in terms of this first mission, you see there in verse 6. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And so he's introduced to us at the very beginning. And he is kind of a, a difficult customer. And what we read is in verse 8 that Elimas, that, uh, the sorcerer, for that's what his name meant, was opposed to them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now when you read that, uh, it's obvious at one level, at a surface level, that there were probably economic reasons for this sorcerer wanting to prevent Paul from speaking to his boss, the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. Because if Sergius Paulus came to faith, he as a sorcerer would have been out of a job. But what we also see is underneath that, that there's actually a spiritual nature to the opposition to the gospel that takes place. And I think it's very interesting that this is noted at the very beginning of Paul's missionary journey. Because what we see is that he's a magician. And what Paul notes is that the devil was using him to prevent the message go forward. And what we need to understand from the outside is that there will be human reasons why people get opposed in terms of the ministry of the gospel. Underneath all of them, there's a spiritual warfare that takes place. And the devil will be at work. And I say that because the devil does not want the gospel to go out. Because when the gospel goes out, it speaks of how people can be freed from their guilt. It releases people as they come to faith in Christ from their bondage to sin. It frees them from the fear of death that the devil holds over them. And the devil wants to take as many people down to hell with him. And so underneath uh, this kind of, if I can say, what appears economic reason for the sorcerer preventing or seeking to prevent the gospel go forward, there is a spiritual battle that takes place and this power encounter takes place and that's the only way you can describe it. Paul ends up, through the power of God, blinding this sorcerer. Now, that is a very shocking detail, but it's what took place. And it's what needed to take place. But the thing to note that is encouraging in this story is who gets converted. And you have a look at verse 7. The proconsul, we're told, was an intelligent man and he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. And when you get to the end of uh, uh, that section, let me just read it here. I forgot to put it in my notes. Uh, You read there in verse 12, uh, verse 11, and 12. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. This is Paul talking to uh, the sorcerer. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him. He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And so this encounter, in a sense, 
produces some sort of faith in him. But what converts him is his amazement at the teaching about the law, the gospel. And so as Paul deals with this opposition, suddenly Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, is now freed and able to hear the message. And he hears and is amazed and comes to faith. And I just find this very encouraging. Because as Paul goes out on the missionary journey, the first person converted is someone very unlikely. I think Paul would not have thought that the most significant Roman leader on the island of Cyprus would be the first convert that he had, that is mentioned here. But that's what takes place. And I think it keeps encouraging us that God is going to be at work to bring people to himself that we'll be surprised by. And so we must not give up in terms of our ministry of seeking to speak the gospel to those around us. Well, that's the first mission stop. That was in Cyprus. It was Holy Spirit inspired. It was opposed by the devil, but an unexpected convert came to faith. Well, second, Pisidian Antioch. Now, this is a major chapter in the book of Acts. Let me read from verse 14. From Perga they went to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down there. After reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you had a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Now, this section in chapter 13 has one of the longest speeches recorded in the book of Acts. In other words, it's a very significant message. And it's a message which was aimed at predominantly Jewish hearers who were sitting in the synagogue. I encourage you to read all of it and to read and think about how Paul addressed those who were his Jewish brothers and sisters. But there's one very important truth that comes out of this speech, which I think is very important for us to take hold of. And that is that Jesus is risen from the dead. If you were to ask modern Christians, in other words, Christians from our day and age, what is the heart of the gospel? When I do that, typically you'll hear people say that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Now let me just say, that is an absolute central truth of the gospel. And when you read Paul's letters, it's absolutely central in his thinking about how you understand the Christian life. That as Christ has died for him, so in a sense his old life is over, he's got a new life now in Christ. But when he went out preaching, the word that was on his lips and all the other apostles' lips was actually slightly different. They spoke about the death of Christ, but what they kept emphasizing was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And three times in this speech, he says this, this phrase, but God raised him from the dead. Now in verse 30, that's the first time he's just recounted the historical details that his Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and the leaders arranged for Pilate to put Jesus to death on the cross. And then they buried him. Verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. Then in verse 32, he speaks about how this was foretold in the Old Testament. What God promised our ancestors, he fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I've become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. And then in verse 37, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Now why was this so important for the apostles? And why, was it so, and why is it so important for us today? Because uh, both Peter, when he preaches at um, the day of Pentecost, and Paul, what they want to say is Jesus is risen. 
He's now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is both the Messiah and the Lord. He is the King. And he is the one people need to turn to. And friends, that is why the gospel is still relevant today. Christ is risen and he is the King. But here's the bouquet, the encouraging truth that flows off the back of the resurrection. It's the forgiveness of sins. And when you read what Paul says, let me read to you. Therefore, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So he's spoken three times about the resurrection. And then he says, well, what's the significance of this? Through this Jesus, who is the one who is risen, who is the king, he will forgive you. At some stage in people's lives, most, if not all, want some answer to this question. How do you get right with God? How do you have eternal life? And the answer is found there in verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And you see, this is why the gospel will always be relevant in whatever age we live in. Because you see, the gospel speaks to our deepest need. The need to be in a right relationship with God. The need to have assurance that when we die, we will be with God in heaven. And because Christ has conquered death, he has risen to the right hand of the Father, he is the King, he sits there and offers forgiveness. And I was thinking about this in terms of this mission was inspired by the Holy Spirit because the Spirit of God was sending out the apostles because God wants the world to know forgiveness is now available to everyone. It's the most wonderful news that we have to share. And this is the bouquet of this passage. But the challenging truth, the brickbat, is this. Verse 44. Having announced that Jesus is risen, having spoken of the forgiveness of sins that is available to all who come to him, we read on verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When they saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. I mean, it's stunning. They've just heard how in the Old Testament, there were promises made. They're fulfilled in this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, the forgiveness of sins is offered. And so lots of people want to find out. But a part of them and a vocal part stir the crowd up. And it's interesting, they were filled with jealousy. They didn't like seeing the crowds go after Paul and receive this message. And what you see here is, in the first instance, there is a spiritual battle. The devil is at work. We saw that on the island of Cyprus. But there's also the way the devil will work is through very human emotions. Sometimes it is jealousy. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's pride. But he will use people to turn others off. And what happens here is abuse is just heaped on those who want to find out more. And you might say, you know, words, well, they don't impact us, but they do impact us. 
And they do impact people who are seeking to know about God. But what is profound is the way that those whom God is working in, it doesn't matter what is said to them, when they hear the living God, they're transformed. They're made new. And it doesn't matter what abuse will take place. I was struck by how one of our new Christians here at church who came to faith this year, she came to faith on the Alpha course and her friends hadn't seen her for three months. And then as lockdown started to finish and people were out to, able to go out, they went out and all her friends were doing what they used to do, partying and drinking and this person just announced to them, I've become a Christian and I've stopped drinking. And they all just laughed at her. But let me just say, she is not put off because she knows she's found something in the Lord Jesus Christ that is so real, it has changed her life. And what is stunning is though there are people mocking her and abusing her in a sense of laughing at her, there are others now who are wanting to find out more because of her. And you see, I love how this story finishes in terms of Pisidian Antioch. It says they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. In other words, the disciples are not put off by this. This abuse, this mocking, this being sent away. Rather, they just rejoice that some have come to faith in Christ. And they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And so God rose Jesus from the dead, which means forgiveness of sins is available. And there's an unexpected convert there. That's actually the wrong one. But anyway, we'll go ahead. Now, Iconium. When you read chapter 14, it says, The Jews who refused to believe stirred up other Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. And from the very beginning, you see this theme of opposition continuing to take place. And you see, another way that the devil works is he just works through other people. But we read here in verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. And I do love that. Put verse 2 and 3 together, okay? Verse 2, they stir up trouble against the brothers. Verse 3, so what does Paul and Barnabas do? They just bunker down. <laughs> They spend considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord. They're not put off by it. And what happens? God confirms the message of his grace by enabling to them to perform signs and wonders. And one of the things you see through the book of Acts is that there is just this supernatural layer upon their ministry. God uses them in the most incredible ways. And here, he confirms their message with signs and wonders. And it's worth stopping and thinking about this because it is an important truth. God does work supernaturally in this world. Now, I'm not saying we're going to have the same ministry in terms of seeing signs and wonders as they will. But I don't want to say the opposite. We're not going to see God doing miracles at all or working supernaturally at all. God continues to work in incredible, amazing ways. And when there's opposition to the gospel, we just need to be praying harder that God is going to work somehow by his supernatural grace to turn people to himself and to confirm the message that we're speaking to them. 
And it's amazing how many times when we're praying that God acts in some way, God acts in some way that you can only say that's God at work. It's supernatural. And I've seen it so many times. And it doesn't happen all the time. And it's interesting, in the book of Acts, it doesn't happen all the time. And the book of Acts is written over 20 years. And so these occurrences of great miraculous outpourings are really just few and far between. But God is a God who will work in all kinds of ways to bring people to the attention of the gospel. And as we saw with Sergius Paulus, then when they hear it, they're amazed at the teaching and they come to faith. And here's what's encouraging in this section. Verse 5, there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and the Jews together with their leaders to mistreat and stone them. But Paul found out about it. And they fled to Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe into the surrounding country and they continued to preach the gospel. And so what we see at Iconium is there's opposition from the get-go. It doesn't stop them and it doesn't stop God. But rather there's this sense of great supernatural ministry that takes place and they're unstoppable. And I just love the way that finishes. You might have words, you might have actions that try and prevent us, but we're just going to keep preaching the gospel. And off they go. They just won't be stopped. And I was thinking about the ministry this year. It has been a very tough year with the lockdowns. And yet we've had some incredible things in terms of evangelism. I don't know if you knew this, but we had, I spoke to Suzanne yesterday. She said it was between 45 and 47 guests come to the Alpha course in term two. And most of them were brought by friends. And so in the middle of what has been the most crazy 20 months, we've seen the most amazing evangelism taking place. It has not stopped here what God is doing. And then in the midst of the lockdown, when we couldn't really do anything, I said to Suzanne, would you like to run Alpha Online? And she looked, she was a bit spurious about it. But she said, look, I'll give it a crack. And she wasn't thinking much of what happened. But we've had 14 guests sign up. And she said, what's most incredible is that all of those guests would never have come to an in-person course. But because it's online, they are coming. The gospel will not be stopped. And that's what happened in the book of Acts. And it's so encouraging to see it's what's happening here. Mission stop four. Lystra and Derby. Verse eight. In Lystra there was a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, I'm not going to read all of the story. Uh, Jan read it for us. They basically think that Paul and Barnabas, the group here at Lystra, are somehow the gods who've come down in, in human form. And they begin to sacrifice. And Paul is saying, no, don't do that. We're not. And he starts to preach the gospel to them. But what happens is, and we see this in verse 19, then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. And they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. And it's quite stunning because, you see, um, the Jews who were against Paul were this small group, but they were incredibly vocal. And they followed him around trying to undo his work in his ministry and prevent him from preaching the gospel. And what you see here is an escalation of the opposition. At first it was just a sense of abuse or knocking. Then they're thrown out 
of the town in Pisidian Antioch. But now it escalates and they stone him. And at this point, it is worth noting that for Christians around the world, I read today, yesterday, I think 309 million face very high or extreme levels of persecution. 309 million Christians suffer very high or extreme levels of persecution and discrimination. And there's a ministry called Open Doors who pray for and support persecuted Christians and they have a top 50 nation list of most persecuted Christian countries. And in the top 50, all of those countries are facing very high or extreme persecution. And it's a stunning reality. One in eight Christians in the world today is facing some sort of persecution. And that's what you see here in Lystra. There is opposition to the gospel And it's not just words, it's not just people being jealous. This time it was actually people being stoned. And you see, we need to realise that in standing for Christ, there sometimes can be a great cost and it may not be us, but it may be other people and we need to stand with them. And so I love how the passage finishes. Because Paul returns to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch at the end of this preaching trip and goes back and visits all the disciples who have now come to faith on this first missionary journey. And in verse 22 we read that he was strengthening them and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And he says these famous words, he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. And then in verse 27 and 28, it says, then they gathered the church together and they're now back at Antioch at the home base, the church that uh, Scott spoke on last week, and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And so what do we learn as we reflect on this first missionary journey and the brickbacks and the bouquets that came Paul and Barnabas' way? Well, I think what we see is that wherever Paul went, the gospel gets preached. Nothing was going to stop him. And it says to me, and I think to all of us, we need to be ready because there'll be opportunities every day when we can be a witness for Jesus. And we need to have that mindset and that prayer set to be praying every day, give me an opportunity to speak for you, Lord Jesus. And when they preach the gospel, you get a variety of reactions. Typically, There are people who are interested and sometimes they're converted, but there's always others who are knocking, who are opposed. And it's going to be the same in our world today. There is a loud but a small minority voice who are opposed to the faith. But there's also those who are open to the Christian faith, and we need to realise that. But there is a reality that being a Christian will mean hardship. It will mean opposition. And we're not to be put off by this. Because God will be working in and through that to use us to bring the good news of forgiveness and love and freedom to those who are open to hear, to those whom God is at work in. And God strengthens and uses those who will stand up for him. And so don't be surprised at hardship or opposition. Don't be put off by hardship or opposition. Because God will work through that to enable 
the good news of the gospel to go out. So let's be resolved to be prayerfully persistent in making sure and praying that the gospel goes out from us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for these incredible stories on Paul's first missionary journey. May it steal our hearts and give us a resolve to be used by you no matter what the cost. In Jesus' name, amen.